The Race Against Time – A Look Behind the Scenes at Innovation Scouting Dear audience, my name is Ludmila Der. I'm the Managing Director of Elite Experts Conferences and I would like to welcome you to the next episode of the Elite Experts Conferences podcast. Whether at live events or in the digital world, we bring together cool promising tech startups with exciting innovative global players and generate a platform where the world of sustainable technology meets. Get to know the different companies, but also the inspiring leader personalities behind these brand names. Our motto is towards a better and cleaner future through knowledge transfer and technology. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to two brilliant guests on our premium panel. Let's start with Victoria Ilga, a team lead startup initiative at Creators Expedition, which is a startup initiative at AVL. AVL is so well known so that no long introduction is needed. In short, AVL is the world's largest independent company for development, simulation and testing in the automotive industry. Our second guest is Christian Weber, who is Global Director Advanced Engineering, ADAS and Technology Council at Continental. Continental is one of the well-known tier one suppliers and develops pioneering technologies and services for sustainable and connected mobility. By the way, Continental Group just recently, last year, celebrated 150 years. So, happy birthday, Continental Group. And now let's dive into our panel discussion, The Race Against Time, a look behind the scenes at innovation scouting, which is, let's be honest, probably one of my most favorite topics. Victoria, let's start a little bit in historical order. Would you like to tell us the story of how Creators Expedition was founded? So how did AVL decide to create this kind of startup initiative? I'd love to. So the idea to create a startup initiative was born almost six years ago. And there are many reasons why we decided to do this. But the most important is that I think AVL realized very early that the world is changing faster and faster. So technologies are developed, new business models are found, and also the needs of customers and consumers are constantly changing. So it's therefore becoming increasingly important to think and work in partnerships. So AVL has always worked together with university and research institutions and has recognized that there must be a single point of contact also for startups because the way of working with startups has to be a little bit different, but I think we will talk about that later on. And maybe the second thing why we have founded the startup initiative, and this point is very important to me personally, is the topic of entrepreneurship. The larger organizations become, I think the more important it is to keep the entrepreneurial way of thinking as a cultural component. And this is where I think startup initiatives can make a valuable contribution. So basically, it's profit on both sides, definitely. And basically, that's absolutely new for me that just six years ago it was founded. I was thinking like already at, at least 10 years or something, right? Okay, super, super young. We have worked with startups even before, but the initiative really as a single point of contact was founded almost six years ago. And how many startups do you work with per year, let's say? I mean, I, I guess it's increasingly, but uh, still roundabout. 
It's always a little bit different, but roundabout, I would say it's 10 to 15 startups a year. Mm -hmm. So basically the ones that you have chosen, so no, but uh, in, intake or input startups are much, much more. Exactly. So we get more than 250 applications each and every year. So we have a pipeline of around 1,200 startups, but projects are really done with around 10 to 15 startups a year. Yeah, perfect. And as you said, we will talk about that in more detail just in a few minutes. So Christian, it's a little bit different for you because Continental has a startup hub program called Copace, but you are not part of it, right? So how is this uh, search for innovative startups structured at Continental? Yeah, here I'm talking here more for the business unit ADAS or Autonomous Mobility. And we are focused on this type of technology. I started with that uh, more than five years ago, even before Copace was founded uh, within, within Continental and I was, was part of that. So we noticed that uh, some startups, they can provide a technology where they are extremely focused on doing nothing else than that. Uh, and they are quite fast in areas where we are also presented in technology. So I created a certain kind of, of map, uh, technology map, and uh, we are very well known for radar, but also camera, LiDAR, ultrasound, uh, then also hardware functions uh, up to simulation even. And with that, we started then to look exactly in the area where we are not as, uh, as strong as we could be, or where a startup provides a technology where we didn't thought about before. And both happened. And the, the, the source where we got the most contact uh, for, for startups with promising technologies, uh, exhibitions, summits, uh, conferences, uh, like that. This is the, the, the biggest source. But there's also press and media and university cooperation Uh, announcement, uh, co-pays itself, of course, the merchant acquisition brings us things, but uh, where we got the most uh, input because there it's starting a bit the technology people with technology people is when we are going to exhibition summit conferences and so on. And this is, we do it now for here in that structured way it's not very heavily process loaded but it's a structured way for five years still concentrated in adas and the adas plus surrounding from adas and your question from copays they are doing also for rubber and tires so things what we are not not involved at all so copays is basically for all the technologies that you are interested in in, in the whole continental group so basically right They are for Continental and I'm focused on, on autonomous mobility and ADAS. I mean, you have limited time and there's like, uh, okay, you are doing that with the team and so on, but still, how many startups do you manage to bring successfully in the programs, let's say? In so this is, these are two questions. How many startups do we handle and how many are at the end successful? Uh, because it's it's a long way to be successful, especially from the from the startup side. They even they often have difficulties to understand why it's so slow in automotive. To come to your question, it's roughly 20, 20 startups a year. The input is quite higher; it's much much higher. 
but we have to filter it. We have to filter it in the right technology and it's real work to be done. It's real work for proof of concept with a team and I cannot, uh, I would say I cannot kill the team by bringing too many, too many different technologies into the same team handling it. Exactly. And what you said before, I mean, uh, what, what does it make successful? It's not just uh, being in the program, but in the end, let's say that you have commercialization project that it's really working and it's scalable, right? So it's another story anyway. So Victoria, Christian just mentioned what, what is he focusing on, let's say, from the thematic areas. And where do you look specifically for the startup? So in which kind of uh, topics and uh, yeah, areas? So we basically have defined that very broadly and we refine the selection each and every year a little bit. But basically we have four areas. One is ADAS AD, so autonomous driving is of course an important topic for us. Then electrification and alternative fuels is very important for us. And also IoT and big data is an important topic in, in terms of new business models, I would say. And another topic which is becoming more and more important is also sensors. So these are the four key areas we are looking into. And you are defining within the initiative or always backing up with the AVL, sea level, etc. So how high do you go really in the AVL structure? Exactly. So it's always important as a startup initiative to link that back to the organization because in the end, it has to benefit the organization and the startup. Therefore, we have a steering committee consisting of our EVPs, so of our executive vice presidents. And each and every year, um, we have discussions where we need to focus this year. And we also try to, to talk to our project leaders, let's say, so to the internal departments, also asking them what are the key areas we should look into. So it's a... Um, let's say, a mix of our management and also a broad employee base. Mm -hmm. Christian, you mentioned that previously, but also like your title, ne? so Global Direct Advanced Engineering ADAS and Technology Council already reveals that you are active in the field of ADAS and um, automated autonomous driving, but uh, also uh, linking back to what Victoria just said, I mean, Do you also have like constant changes in prioritization and uh, focus for every year? So where you should look more into and so on. So is that somehow similar to how it's structured at AVL? Yes, uh, in, in a general way, yes. So the change of focus is, of course, not every week and not every month. But uh, sometimes we have to take a decision that uh, we focus more on, on one technology and or one business field uh, within the technology and we stop others. This, this happens, but this happens not a lot of times, but it happens each year for, for different areas. That's, that's normal, that's part of, of the technology. And some technology one day gets obsolete even uh, because then there is something, something new. Look on neural networks, they completely killed every other type of approach for, for, for camera detection, for example. For, for us, one of the, the crucial things is to filter out those who we want to work with and to continue and to keep the others uh, warm or by side for a certain time so that we don't miss the good opportunities and that we do not do double work. Double work in terms of... Uh, doing for the same technology exactly the same thing with, with more than one or two, but with five or six, this is completely to be avoided. 
And there is also it's also always necessary to communicate internally quite well that everybody in that huge organization what we are is aware of what we are doing. And how is the methodological thing of uh, keeping the startups warm, let's say. I mean, I, I have the feeling sometimes when, when talking in the, let's say, behind the scenes with startups, they always have the feeling they are kept warm, you know, like things are not proceeding as fast as they should. So Yeah, perhaps my, perhaps my expression was a bit, uh, a bit fuzzy. I communicate very clear with them that, for example, currently we do not have either the the focus or the time or the budget or whatever is necessary. But a real communication is necessary. Put yourself in the shoes of a startup. They are 15 to 20 people, sometimes smaller, sometimes bigger. And they are very focused. They cannot allow themselves to waste their time with someone who is perhaps willing, perhaps not willing to work with them. This is for them a question of survival. And so... From my side, I communicated always very clearly um, if we want to continue or not. And if we continue, then it's a proof of concept. And the proof of concept is paid proof of concept. Then it is very clear, yes, we want to go. Okay, perfect. Victoria, could you also, let's say, confirm that, that you always also try to make it as transparent as possible? Definitely. I think this is one of the most important things you have to take care um, when working with startups, because that's the only way how it is done fair, because I can totally commit to what Christian said, put yourselves in the shoes of a startup. And I think that's a key question and a key sentence, let's say, also for this podcast, maybe it's always important to have kind of an empathy on both sides, of course, on the startup side and on the corporate side. Absolutely. I think that's also like the, the goal for us, why we do that, to make it transparent. How are the processes, how it's going, how fair it is really, and how to best approach that actually. And now I have really very, very suitable question for both of you on that. So let's play through the two possible cases. One, when you found a great promising innovation in a startup. And the other one, how a startup can find you. So let's start with the first scenario, right? So what steps do you go through with the startup that you discovered and approximately how long does this whole process take? Who would like to start? I can start if you want. Uh, so this was also a list of questions. The first one was how can they find us? As I said uh, earlier, we are presented on conferences and, and media and so on. So They can find us with that. And we have also the obligation to find them It's in, in both directions. Then uh, how long will it take uh, to then to bring it into in the working mode, you asked? Uh, so their uh, proof of concept can be very fast. This is in my area very fast. It's one month. And this is really the fastest I've ever seen. And uh, normally it's more six months, roughly six months. This is more or less a standard. But there are others, so it takes longer than a year. And this has to be explained uh, to, to them clearly that the proof of concept is the first thing is to, to, uh, to go to the next step. It is, has to be fulfilled. And this is real, real hard work to be done on both sides. But you mean now like one month until you go into proof of concept process, right? So, or six months if it's if it takes a bit longer yeah and one month is the proof of concept 
the proof concept. If they are well prepared and if it fits luckily into what we need, then it can be really within one month. This is really an exception then. It happens, but it's an exception. It's more in the area of six months. To start the proof of concept, uh, big companies, big processes, of course, it will take also some weeks for us to start it because we have to convince internally the stakeholders um, to find the budget and all what a big company needs to. That's, that's quite normal and they know that. Uh, Mm-hmm. Even the legal basis and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. NDA is necessary. Then where they have to review it. This takes time. That's that's clear. Mm-hmm. And Victoria, how is it for you? When we see a startup, which is interesting for us, it's the same for us. We are on a lot of conferences looking for different startups. But as well, they can do an application over our website. So there are different ways of how we get in contact with startups. But basically, for us, is always the goal to successfully connect them with our internal departments and let's say build strategic partnerships for the future. And we do that by, or we see our our team sees ourselves as a facilitator and startup expert. So the first step we do is always a first validation, which is done by our team, where we take a close look on the startup, how many people are working there, in which stage are they right now, what are they looking for, so that we really find a match. And then we always say we look for an internal champion, meaning that we need somebody in the organization from our internal departments, from the expert departments, who really is keen on working with that startup, who is really fond of that startup and likes to do something with them. And if we have that internal champion, let's say, then we define a POC together. And this POC should be as big as to really have a result after the POC, but as small as to say, okay, we are not losing too much money, let's say, or too much resources. We also do, as uh, Christian said, uh, paid POCs, which is important for us. And I think the time till we get into a POC should be as short as possible, of course. But as we all know, we are as well a corporate, so we try to do it within eight weeks. That's our goal. So till we can start. And then the POC itself, it really depends on the startup and the POC. It can take from six months to eight months to four months sometimes. So it really depends. So basically, you also need to be super interlinked within your own organization to know all the technical experts you're working for, so many topics that you mentioned. So basically, you, you have to have all your links to find those champions, right? Yes, that's that's part of the business, let's say. So this is maybe one of the most important parts, of course, to have the sense for the right startups but also to have an internal network. That's good to know how it works. And actually also let's go to the second scenario that I mentioned and you also uh, already partly uh, answered that. So when a startup would like to approach you, so how to do that best? Really like the generic email that they found on the website, is that the best way to do or should they try via LinkedIn or let's say in general via social media and so on? So or try to get into contact on some live events like conferences, fair shows, and so on? I keep it with Nike. Just do it. (laughs) Most important. So whenever you get the chance to approach somebody from a corporate or from a startup initiative, do it would be my first advice. But basically for us or for me, it is the easiest if somebody does an application through our website, because here we really ask the most important points and you can upload a pitch deck, which makes it easier for us to get a first, uh, let's say, feeling for the startup. 
but we also get applications over email. We get applications over LinkedIn a lot if people talk to us at a conference. So everything is fine, basically. For, I, I think most important, do it and, and reach out. Exactly, the, the Nike motto, just do it. <laughs> Done is better than perfect. It's uh, also one of my life mottos. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely true. I mean, Christian, you are not integrated in this code base. So basically, I, I guess it's not possible that an application would reach you so fast when it's done via the website and all those tools and so on. So how to best reach you? So when you do, an, uh, you call it application for a continental, you will reach co-pays first. And I'm in contact uh, on a daily basis with Copays and they handed it over. They will hand it over immediately to me. And we established together this process. The other thing what is more tricky, you know, uh, just autonomous mobility or our, our company, our business unit ADAS, we have 9,000 employees, 9,000 engineers. There are a lot of contacts with technology contacts, uh, contacts with others. And they have to know me that when internally and what I'm doing so that they can immediately hand over it to me or hand over the startup to me. So this is uh, for the network you mentioned earlier. This is, this is really necessary that you are very well known and appreciated internally that uh, they want to hand over it and then I, we can do it in a structured process. So th this is one thing. The network internally to be very well known that, that the contacts get to you and the other thing is with all the time passing we are very well known also externally so especially you know i'm a big uh, amateur of israel uh, so they are very well known and they even they they hand over it then to me directly I can confirm that, let's say, yeah. uh, talking also with a lot of Israeli startups, yeah. they know your name, they know what you are doing, yeah. and they yeah. are actually big fans of your of your work as well. So therefore, yes, can absolutely confirm that. And let's start with some success stories. I want also to inspire with this content, let's say that we see also like how it can be done best and what can, let's say, the next generation of startups learn from that. So Victoria, would you like to share one of your favorite co-creation success stories with us? That's a tough one. <laughs> I can never decide. I feel so connected to all of our projects, so it's hard to choose. But I think a very exciting project is a project with a German startup called Patimo. Patimo specializes in high-precision simulation software for lithium-ion batteries. And I think what is so interesting here is that AVL decided to enter into a long-term cooperation to really leverage complementary competences and integrate Patimo's unique technology, the, the modeling and simulation technology, into the AVL simulation world, so into an AVL product. And I think here we really see that both strengths come together and, let's say, build a new offering for our customers. And this, for me, is a real success story. And how did it start? So did they reach out to you or you found them? It's, it's a, a long time ago, so it was, I think, back in 2018, but we found them on a conference, if I'm right. And we got to know the, the founder of the startup. He's a very, let's say, he's very fond of his own startup. And I, was, I, I remember him because I was really impressed by how he presented his technology and also his business model and his whole team. 
So I got immediately inspired and our whole team, which then worked, um, of course, with the startups was very inspired. And the second very interesting point with that startup is that he really knew how to talk to our internal guys, meaning that he was very empathic and he was able to talk in the right way, understand also our internal problems. So I think that the cool thing within this project was that they both parties, so AVL and the startup, found together very, very quickly because they kind of had the same language, let's say. So basically, once again, the human factor is super, super deciding, right? So, And just a curious question. I mean, did that person came from the startup sector initially or was he before in the corporate structures himself? Because, you know, like understanding your customer and so that's really tricky sometimes. It is. Yeah, definitely. No, he's not from the corporate world, but it is a spin-off startup from a university. So he came from a university, but I think it was... Just a very empathic mind, let's call it like that. But I know what you mean. It's very often that we work with very young founders who directly founded a company after the university and have never been into a corporate structure, which makes it hard to explain <laughs> why we are sometimes a little bit slower or why it is important that everything is aligned and, and stuff like that. But for me as a facilitator, what I learned, what is important is really expectation setting on both sides that helps a little bit in that situation but yeah it's always important to know your founders <laughs> and to try to understand them very interesting and i mean yeah lucky catch no so definitely also for the person themselves i mean you have this kind of character traits uh, that are so important there and christian do you also have a favorite story that would exemplify perfectly what immense value your work can create for continental Yeah, there's one uh, one I really like to uh, yeah, to repeat or to to tell it um, is with an Israeli startup. Uh, I found them just five years ago during my first trip uh, in Israel for Continental. Uh, it's it's public, so I can mention the name. At the, at the time, it was Cortica, then then changed. Uh, They, they changed the name in Kartika, now Autobrains, and they, they built this automotive part because we worked together. And now they are in, in camera-based products uh, on our side in. And this is public, so I, I, can, I can talk about. And uh, similar to what uh, Victoria said, it's so, so good to, to look five years back at the first contact. Uh, He was um, not used to work with a corporate. Uh, so there was um, a lot of things to be done and to manage and to hold hands uh, on both sides, also on our side, because it was then not always the right champion on that side, on our side. It is, it is necessary. It's even crucial for the success. So, um, and this is a, a great success because now we are in products together. For them, it's a success and also from for our side, of course. And how did you find each other? You, you mentioned five years ago. How was it? Yeah, that was a congress in in Israel. And during that, uh, it's the Ecomotion. And there I found them or we found them. And from the very first meeting on it was, it was exciting. It was exciting, the tele technology, because it was really disruptive in comparison to, to what we 
did up to then. I guess when it comes to Israeli startups, the most you find really at Ecomotion, right? For those topics, it's like the most famous conference ever there. Exactly, so. yes. Um, so nevertheless, the work between slow giants and fast, tiny startups can be very risky. So have you also had cases where something went wrong? And what were the key learnings, let's say, out of those yeah, bad stories? Yes, of course, things go wrong. And I think we learn from every example, and that is important. What is happening very often and still is happening with us is that expectations between corporates and startups don't match. So they talk about the technology in super detail. They talk about how cool it is, but they never do an expectation setting, let's say. So what can be the business model when we work together? What can a partnership eventually look like? Stuff like that often gets, we miss it out sometimes. But this is a very crucial point, and that's also what we learned. Expectation management is the magic word, let's say, or the magic task here. And in addition, as a corporate, you always have to keep in mind the stage the startup is in and what motivates them at the moment. That is very important for us to understand how they act and what they do. And that this is also something we try to work on with our teams a lot. But I think it also applies to both sides. So as said before, empathy is very a crucial point. Put yourself in the shoes of the other party is here very important. Could you give some examples on that? What do you mean exactly by different motivation factors, let's say at different stages? Yes. So sometimes when a startup is very young, they look for POCs. But in the first hand, they just look for POCs because they are looking for a venture fund maybe or something like that. And for us, the partnership and, and the future is always on the forehead, is, is more important for us, let's say. So here it's, it's important to understand what they are looking for, for example. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And Christian, how is it for you? You have also some bad stories to share, some key learnings. Yes, of course. <laughs> you can imagine when we worked with that many different technologies, different startups, uh, it happens that, uh, that we cannot continue. It, there are different reasons for. One, for example, was that some startups, they ran out of money and they stopped, stopped it. Or another one on a handful of startups, they said automotive is too slow for us. We cannot wait five years to be, to, to be in a product, five years to see our first cash flow. They focused then from their side on consumer, where in one and a half years they can be in the first product. And another point is the price expectation, the value of their proposition. They have often a dream, uh, they often dream a bit uh, mobile dream. That means a big value of what they are doing is so crucial for a tier one, they can charge a lot of money. And then often the, the, the differences between their expectation and what is the value for a product uh, is sometimes a factor 10 even. Uh, up to a factor 10 lower than what they expect. Or it happened that they didn't know the market price well. So they, I can give an example. They said we can do a, a great radar for 600 euros or 600 dollars. 
And I said, okay, that's great. The only thing, the value of a radar is 25. So <laughs> they are so far away from the market that with their business model, they cannot survive. All, all these and different, different aspects uh, happened, happened already in the last years. You mentioned also the cases that for some startups, automotive world is too slow. So with the famous five years, let's say now around about, and then they go out of the business, let's say in automotive sector and go to the consumer goods. And have you also had cases where you found them still so interesting and they were, let's say, thriving in the consumer goods sector and you came back to them and said like, okay, would you like now to enter the automotive world as well? So did something like this happen as well? Yes, that they are coming from surveillance, for example, um, and uh, consumer cameras. And this uh, aspect of uh, detection at a high frame rate with low computing power was then so interesting. And they were more mature than that we could uh, re-engage or start to engage. For example, auto brains at the beginning, they have not been in automotive, they have been in surveillance. But this happens. Mm -hmm. Now I have, let's say, a question which goes in, in a very similar direction. And you mentioned already parts of that. So, But basically, with all the experience that you have and everything that you have seen, so, so many co-creation processes and successful collaboration, but also failed collaboration. So what are the most important success criteria for great collaboration? I guess it will be empathy already and expectation management that was already mentioned. Is there something more to add? So, Victoria, would you like to start? I think there are a lot of uh, learnings um, also on the corporate side um, because we are now focusing a little bit on what the startups need to do, but there is also something the corporates need to do, of course. And I think being clear on what we want internally, of course, is an important point. So being clear, let's say it has two sides, being clear on what we are looking for. So what are technology fields we want to look deeper into? Where do we have connects to our core business? So this is one side. And on the other side, beside being clear, being open to new technologies. So meaning that when we look into the startup world, we see a lot of or we get a lot of new inputs, which should be um, incorporated into the company. So it's always um, let's say this this important task between being open and also being clear in which fields we should look into. And you mentioned very, very aptly, as I think, that it's actually work on both sides. It's not just, okay, the startups, you have to do that right to be able to work with us. It's also on the other side. It needs, so I think most important is that we work on an eye level. So each party is worth the same and we want to, attract new customers together or we want to do something, co-create a new product together. So it's kind, like you said, a co-creation process and therefore it is important to work on an eye level. Absolutely correct, yeah. Christian, would you like to add something? So most have been said from Victoria, just one little thing I want to add. They have to know the window of opportunity. It's really sometimes if you are too early, then you will not come into a product because it's too early and if it's too late, then you are too late and someone else took that window of opportunity. And it's not easy, but it's really you have to know on the market what is the opportunity and what is the time for this opportunity. 
Very good. And actually, you mentioned before the mobili dream, right? So yeah. like like that, what some people, let's say, dream of that is how it should be. That is the greatest success story that happened, maybe one of the well-known, let's say. But how often does it really happen that you think, okay, we can co-create something together, but it's maybe even so highly interesting that we should acquire this company. So how often does it really happen on both sides from you? Maybe Christian, you would like to continue first? So it is, it is sometimes the case that we think about, uh, that we think about to acquire it directly. To have then, it's not only the team, it's not only technology, it's also the patent. So it's, it's a complete due diligence and then, and complete asset uh, evaluation we do. So if we compare the current situation in mid of 22, it's much more difficult than it was in the last five, six, seven years where the venture capitals had a lot of money and the corporates were willing to spend more money. But It's not over. It's still possible, but it's more difficult. The first step is always to look in a corporation, in a corporation. How can we work together without being too much uh, involved one into the others? We, in, we like to invest in them to also to assure that technology has the food in the store and so on. But uh, if they want to grow, for, take the Mobile example, they grow, they didn't sell themselves, they sold their product. So they grow over years and years and years they grow. And this can be a, a big value for the, for the startups to tell, to think, yeah, perhaps that one day we are a big company and not an IPO, for example. Mm -hmm. The only thing is, I don't like to hear we want to be the next Mobileye. I hear it too often. <laughs> I hear it really too often. I mean, you you kind of created already this expression, the Mobileye dream no? that I just took up. <laughs> yeah. Victoria, how is it for you? Yes, so I can totally underline what Christian says. Maybe from our side, our program is clearly not aimed at buying startups. But of course, it still sometimes makes sense to buy a startup. For example, if there is a very strong dependency um, in the relationship you, you build up before, then of course it makes sense for both sides to buy the startup. In general, however, my, my opinion is that it is important to give a startup room for development and, and not take away what makes them successful. So meaning their focus and their speed. So even when a startup is bought or when you have shares of a startup, it's very important that it is still able to work as a startup, let's say, if that is clear to you what I mean. So to give them a, a lot of um, the needed freedom that they are used to have actually to still develop themselves on their pace. No? If they have to fulfill corporate processes and stuff like that of course it's hard for them to get to still have the focus and, and the speed so therefore i think this is important no matter if you buy them or not give them the freedom for development but it's not like something uh, that happens on the regular basis right so like one startup per year is bought or something like that it's just like rare cases no exactly it's rare cases and there is no rule for that mm-hmm so actually, our panel title, The Race Against Time and Look Behind the Scene at Innovation Scouting, it already suggests how valuable the innovations coming from startup are for large companies, right? So otherwise, you would not have created also the startup hubs and so on. So 
Anyway, do you still sometimes or maybe even often have to fight internally against the not invented here syndrome? Does it happen? Christian, for you? Yeah, the, the quick answer is yes. Um, and I can understand it. The engineers, they are proud because they worked over years and years to improve functions and products. Uh, and then something new from outside, uh, they think as if they have to give away their, their flowers, their babies, their, the, the something what they worked proudly and really good on. And there's a reason why they are proud. Uh, it's not arrogance, not, not to con confuse that. It's also a management job from, from our side to convince them it is help coming and not the danger is coming. It is really help. And um, we have to repeat it. And what Victoria said uh, earlier, to find the right champion for it in a team. Because in a team you have always those who are a bit more open and others, they are more closed. And you have to find the right one. And you have to repeat it and repeat it a lot of times. This is, uh, it will not, it will not stop. This is in the nature. But I mean, we think sometimes that just in the startups, there is a strong sense of creating something valuable and really to, to change something. But I mean, also every engineer can have this feeling also in a corporate structure as well. And they love their projects. So, I mean, I was in a corporate structure as well. So, and everything that I did was super important for me. So I guess it's, it's just human factor, right? So, and that we are kind of connected to what we do, what we love. So Victoria, what is your experience on that? Yes. So I, I can underline what you say. And I think that's good that people love what they do. And that's, that's part of the game. Um, and what makes also corporate successful, I think. I think a lot about the not invented here syndrome, because of course, that is something I see a lot of times what I can say from maybe the innovation theory and what I, what I really see is that we have those three parts of innovation. We have the core innovation, which is really the heart of a company. Then we have that adjacent innovation, which belongs maybe or taps into a new industry or for new customers. And then we have this transformative innovation where we have new products for new markets, which is totally new. And what I see is in, in the daily business is that startups which go directly in the core innovation here we find the biggest not invented here syndrome because of course here a corporate or we for example have a, a long history in that field in that core innovation field of a company in that in the heart of a company and here it's even more complicated to say okay hmm, the technology of the startup is really cool and we should work with it If we are more on the transformative side in a new area where we haven't been for a long time or an area which is also new for us, here it's much easier to bring in startups. Here we have other problems, but the non-invented here syndrome is not so strong here. But you also have like kind of mindset classes on that trainings and so on. So how to be innovative, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I remember that from a corporate side. Let's say. Yes. And actually to uh, um, my next question, which is also prepared for both of you. So you both need immensely broad-based knowledge no? so, and very good persuasion skills also to use them internally. No? So, so what do you think are the top skills to do your job well? So what skills save you the most when the going gets tough? 
I mean, we are not talking about the rosy, pleasant times when everyone is convinced, yeah, everything is great. But no, we are talking about the difficult times. Christian? So it is necessary to have a deep uh, technology know-how, at least from my side. And this is what uh, I, I love, what I do. Therefore, I'm, I, I'm somewhat deep in the different technologies that you can judge what is right and what is not right from what you are hearing from startup side, but also from internal side. The market knowledge is necessary. The cultural openness is necessary. Certain kind of sensitivity also for, again, for both sides. And the clear mindset, uh, better is better than only good. And this is really necessary. Just uh, as, as Victoria said, if we have a history of years of years in in base development, they are good. They are good because they did it over years. And uh, and then if you want to improve something what is already so good, it's sometimes only a bit, uh, and it's considered as um, a threat. You have to understand that, and. Again, as I said earlier, it's a management job to convince them. Thank you. And Victoria, from your side also, some experiences on that? Yeah, it's, it's similar. I think um, what is very important is resilience. Especially in those tough times you mentioned, resilience is very important. And also to get along with different types of people. We see ourselves as facilitators, so we really need to come along with different people. If it's more a business people, a business person, or if it's more a technical person. And then uh, my or our role is a bit, little bit different to Christian's role. So, of course, we need to have a good sense for new technologies. But we also, or what we focus on a lot from our side is um, having a good sense for business models and and working with our tech teams on new business models because we believe that not only new disruptive technologies will drive the world, but also new disruptive business models. So this is also something we need in our daily work. And for me personally, it's really practicing patience because partnerships and trust don't happen overnight. So patience is something I always need to remember myself. And actually, patience is part of resilience, absolutely. <laughs> and actually, um, you mentioned, yeah, your roles are a bit different. So basically, you do not look so much in the technical details because for that, you have your technical experts within the company. Uh, for Christian, it's completely the different story. No? But uh, now I would like to link that question to, to Christian, actually, because if you see there's value on the technical side in this innovation, but you see like a poor um, business model behind that. So um, are you still interested in that startup, in that innovation? Yes, but uh, I would say, so it is clear at the end, it has to fit into a business case. We have to make money at the end of it. Even just to do it because it's a pleasure to play with technology. It's perhaps nice for a certain time, but it will not. it's not uh, sustainable. If the business model doesn't fit at all into, into one of our products or our, our business cases, then it's really a stop. Then it's a stop sign. And this happened also already. Mm -hmm. Okay. So actually, in the end, both sides must be aligned and yeah. good enough at least to, mm -hmm. to go the next step. Mm. So 
For those of you who are listening to our podcast for the first time today, at the end of the professional questions, I always ask questions that have something to do with personal development, leadership, and personal lessons learned to give us all the opportunity to learn from these great leaders of the industry. So here we go. Have there ever been cases where you are convinced of an idea or a business model or an innovation of a startup, but you can't push it through internally. So if so, how do you deal with this kind of disappointments, with this feeling of ah, not enough? If I can start, so the answer is it happened even recently where I put in a in the business field that much energy because personally it was in the motorcycle area. And personally, I'm a motorcycle driver, so I put a lot of emotion and energy and, and time into that. And finally, we decided on the business level not to pursue that. And there I was very disappointed. Uh, and uh, I, it made me at least, it took me a, a day at least to overcome that because I was so disappointed. But the good thing is in the technology that there are a lot of other opportunities coming again and again and again, new opportunities. So if it is not for today, then perhaps it's for tomorrow. Uh, Victoria said earlier, it's a certain kind of resilience necessary. And I have to learn that. Uh, but when I'm disappointed, uh, then I show that it's not that I'm unpolite, but I can show today I'm disappointed for that. And I, I want to stay honest also with that absolutely i mean it's also again now so it's important you put energy inside of a project and so on and then it's not happening so that's absolutely normal it's human yeah. victoria for you how do you deal with this kind of disappointments i really like christian's approach to be honest and also show that that you are disappointed at least a little bit i think that is important and For us, it's like we talked about the not invented here syndrome before with the engineers. It's the same with me, of course, with projects I'm convinced of. So we are all humans. And of course, I'm uh, sometimes disappointed if I'm very convinced of a project, but the organization don't see it the same way. But basically, I think the beauty of our job is that there are new opportunities, new excitements every day. So it's easier maybe for us to overcome it because there are so many new possibilities each and every day. So and once again, also actually keep on going and yeah, transparent. Once again, like I kind of transforming those uh, negative experiences in something that you can still look forward into the future and the next day and the next project and so on and so on. So to take this energy in something positive no? So actually, Victoria, let's continue with you because you have a very great and very unusual career path. So since you actually started uh, your career in a bank. So I'm personally absolutely convinced that that is exactly precisely the unconventional career path that is necessary for jobs like this, because you really have to have a certain flexibility in your mindset. So and you can really look and think outside of the famous box, actually, no? so Do you still draw on your learned skills from your banking days today still, or it's not happening? <laughs> Difficult question. Yes, generally speaking, I, I think I learned a lot during my times as an executive assistant to, to the board in the bank, because what I did there was a little bit similar to what I do now, at least in some aspects, let's say in some aspects. 
Tell us more. <laughs> yes, there, there are similarities because what I did there is I talked to the executive board, I talked to the individual departments in the bank, the controlling or whatever. And what I learned in a very young age there was the different people, different departments, different contact persons, let's call it like that, require a very different kind of communication. And in the end, we all want to have a positive result, but it really matters to whom you're speaking at the moment. And it matters on how you communicate and, and how you present stuff. And this is also something which is important when I bring together startups and internal departments in the end. So yeah, I think there are learnings from my banking background. So basically communication style is, let's say, still used by you. Now. So how, how differently you have to always communicate to different. And of course, dealing with banks, dealing with money is always something you, you need and, and you can take an advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. And Christian, you have to constantly communicate between two worlds. No? So basically uh, like the startup world and the rigid corporate world. Let's, let's call it like this, the rigid corporate world, not to say it more negatively. Now. So what leadership style do you have to achieve this balance? Well, I, I would call it integrative for, for both sides. So I have to jump a bit between the levels of communication and I have to communicate with the people and take them where they are and not uh, rigidly, you mentioned rigidly, Uh, start from a uh, from a corporate language to a startup language uh, down and or put the bar and to tell the startup this is the level where you have to jump over and so on really go to where they are on both sides internally and externally so once again communication empathy yeah thank you very much so a question for both of you. What was the best advice you ever got in life? Let us all learn a little bit from your experience. Victoria, how about you? Yes, I think a good piece of advice I once received is that it is always important to be able to stand behind what you do. But if you do it, then also take the responsibility for it. And this is something that drives me a lot. It's a little bit like in Amazon, they call it the single-threaded leader. Do one thing, do it good and be responsible for it. And combined with, uh, let's say, not to be a perfectionist, now so done is better than perfect. It's exactly the Nike <laughs> motto that we get in the end. Just do it and have the responsibility. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I like a lot. <laughs> Closing the cycle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from the beginning to the end. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And Christian, for you? Yeah, for me, being more in the technology area, I think... Technology, or what I was told, technology is a bit like mathematics. It's true or false. It's reality, it's effect. And don't start to modify these truths because you have another interest with your, with your department or with your components and so on. Really consider the technology something like mathematics. It's a, a real truth in it and take it as it is. And the other thing is, Bring people around yourself who wants to modify that, who wants to be with you, who wants to be with the technology and not with those who are yeah, behind some processes hidden or so. Once again, so who you work with is super, super crucial, actually, in the end. 
And the last question for both of you, what are your life motives? Would you like to share that with me and with our audience? What inspires you? What guides you? I can start. So in the podcast, I learned it's just do it. <laughs> But I think I'm a happy person and that's most important for me. And also when working with people, try to put the positive in the foreground and try to concentrate on the positive and, and make lemonade out of <laughs> lemons, let's say. Perfect. <laughs> you would love, but I have a notebook actually just uh, far enough for me that I cannot reach to it. But it's exactly the, the slogan that is written on that notebook. <laughs> If life gives you lemons, make the lemon juice out of it. Eh? So It's an old one, but still I think it, it has something in, at least for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Christian, what is yours? Yeah, personally, it's um, the being honest, uh, authentic. Uh, and on the technology side, don't stay just on the surface. Go go deep and uh, learn, learn, learn. And it's not a pain to learn. It's not a pain at all. It's, it's more even the, the opposite around. It's pleasure. And from a professional perspective, uh, Ask what is the best for the product, uh, not what is the best for the department, what is the best for, for yourself or something. What is the best thing, the best, best decision you can take for the product? Very interesting. And I mean, uh, learning point, I can only support you on that. So learning, learning, learning and never stopping to learn is really absolutely a pleasure. How can yeah. that be pain, right? I mean, <laughs> stay curious and there's so so much technology around, so many new things to learn. So therefore, uh, with those words, I would like to close this podcast and I would like to thank you both for this very inspiring, interesting and very, very open and very humanly just super pleasant communication with you. So it was really amazing time. And thank you very much for sharing a lot of knowledge, especially that will help the startups, how they can reach out to you, how they can find those programs, how can they interact, what they should consider as most important and what, let's say, will bring them and you in the end also as corporate global players uh, the most, the highest value. So thank you very much for being with me. Thank you very much, Ludmilla, for the very interesting talk right now and also thank you to Christian I always love to share experiences and to, to learn from others so therefore I'm a big fan thank you thanks Ludmilla from my side it, it is really again we just had it at the end to learn and even during that podcast I learned again things that's really great thanks for to both of you thanks a lot and I hope also like because you know the whole podcast is uh, set up as a platform where people can communicate with each other, let's say, where they can, can really connect with each other. And very often it happens also between the guests. So I hope that it will be also helpful for, let's say, your work and so on. So for all your projects, so if we also can do anything, so if people will reach out to us and let's say we can make any kind of personal introduction and connection. So we always do that. We always support that. It should be a platform of connecting with each other and bringing the technology forward for all of us. There are many ways to achieve a more sustainable future. There are many companies and innovative leaders who choose and actively go very different ways. Let's just not forget one thing. No matter how different the ways are, the big goal is one and the same. See you very soon in the next episode. Mm -hmm.